Everyone take a seat. Class is about to begin. It's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rebel Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome one and all to another episode of the Star Seminar. Your hosts are two men who hold endowed chairs in Cowboysology. I'm Rebel Rouser and with me as always is the great Danny Phantom. How are you today, Professor? I'm doing well, you know. I am uh, a little frazzled, to be honest, with uh, with everything that is going on. Um, in fact, this morning when I was leaving work, uh, my wife she makes me a lunch every every day, and you know, because she's a great person, and uh, she put my lunch in a plastic bag in inside the refrigerator. And uh, this morning I went to get my lunch, and as I'm leaving, right before I get to the door. A head of lettuce just falls out of the bag, and I'm like, well, "What is she? What is she feeding me today?" And and I just I grabbed the wrong bag, and so I mean I'm not even able to tell the difference between my lunch and and a head of lettuce. And if I uh, if I that hadn't happened, I would basically be eating like a rabbit for lunch today. So, needless to say, I think my mind is kind of a little scattered. Um, what about I you, Rabs? Stephen Jones. Yeah, I blame Stephen. Have you uh, have you had any absent-minded, you know, moments like that? <laughs> well, as I descend into the veil of years, I have them more frequently. I think the thing that happens most often for me, uh, for those of you who are listening, you may not know that I wear glasses, and so um, oftentimes I spend upwards of ten minutes uh, looking around uh, our house for my glasses, only to realize that I'm wearing them. Um, <sighs> My my wife was telling me about a story uh, about one of her friends who uh, got, you know, carefully got dressed, put on a shirt. It was like a button down shirt and wore a nice sweater over it and was getting ready to go out the door. And my wife was, said to her, this is her roommate way back in the day, said, um, are you going to go outside without any pants on? And so her friend had just completely just forgot to go to uh, to put pants on because she was so she was so focused on everything else. You really have to be out of it to like not be wearing pants, I would think. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel so bad about the head of lettuce thing now. So. <laughs> that's a high level of like, a, you have to be super absorbed in whatever it is that's occupying your mind. Yeah. Speaking of super absorbed, let's hope people will be super absorbed into what we got going on today. Uh, why don't you let everyone know what's on the agenda? With pleasure. Uh, today, our guest lecturer is none other than the great one cool customer. Yes, folks, it's the cool one himself. And honestly, Danny, I can't think of a better person to talk Cowboys football with in this particular moment, in this heated period of the offseason, than the even-handed cool. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to talk, um, we're going to sort of analyze the validity of some popular Cowboys memes, and I think we'll break down some of the issues that Cowboy fans are most irate about here, as they are this time every year. But before that, let me ask you a question. The big news of the week is... The snafu with Randy Gregory. Uh, I think a lot of the information hasn't come out yet. And so I know personally, I'm still withholding judgment, at least, you know, complete and utter judgment. Um, but where are you standing on this? On the, and how, how, what sort of a, a emotional whirlwind did you experience in the, in the wake of his 180? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit mixed with things. You know, like you said, we're still kind of waiting for, for more information, but with the information that uh, we have received, I'm just, I still feel stuck in the middle. I guess a few things bother me with this. 
one of which is the the stipulation about a player could some guarantees can be voided uh, based on fines. Uh, now, obviously, suspensions completely different story. Um, wouldn't have any issue about that. I, I really feel like that's something that I can completely understand being in contracts. But fines, I mean, with what the NFL fines players for, that seems really. Um, I don't know. Don't 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 care for that. Don't blame Team Gregory for not liking that. Uh, that being said, you know that's written in a lot of contracts, and for something like that to be the you know the final blow, and all of a sudden just a quick U-turn, you know, is what what happened. I'm still shocked. I I just I don't know. I, I'm a little surprised that it went down like that. Maybe like. Gregory had some other things that were kind of a brewing with that whole situation. On, so I mean, what about you? You uh, have any different thoughts on that? I mean, I think for the most part, I feel the same way uh, that you just explained. You feel. Um, I will say that our guest tonight um, tweeted, uh, I think yesterday at some point, something that I think is is worth. Um, thinking about a little bit, which is that this is probably the final straw in a long series of indignities that it doesn't seem like this is something that's severe enough for someone to just take their ball and go home. It mm -hmm. almost feels like it's one of those things where this was an opportunity um, for Randy and his camp to see that the team that had, you know, had, had in many of their actions stuck by him um, was going to continue to do that and make um, a commitment to him and make a commitment to the work that he had done to, uh, I think get himself straight and, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's done a tremendous amount of work on himself and, you know, getting to know himself and, uh, and sort of navigate and negotiate his particular brain chemistry. And so I think that when that language was still in there, he, I, I, I feel like it, it, it probably was the final straw rather than the entire sort of, you know, bail of, of straw. Um, yeah. I will also say one other thing that I think is really interesting, which is to think about when this language started to enter into their contracts. So they maintain, the Cowboys maintain that this is standard language in all of their contracts. We've heard from folks that it's in everybody's contract, except Dak Prescott's, who probably negotiated it out with his, with his agent when he negotiated his new deal. Um, and so part of what I wonder, also given that we're hearing that this is uh, the only team that has that specific language in their contract. What I'm wondering is when did they add it to the contract? If you remember, it wasn't that long ago that every single year it felt like somebody on the defensive line and oftentimes other players as well uh, were missing the first five to seven mm -hmm. to, to 10 right. games of the year with some sort of suspension, some kind of, some kind of, um, you know, kerfluffle was happening. And part of me just sort of feels like the Cowboys got weary of, um, paying guaranteed money for people who were going to do something like, you know, just do something that was going to cause them to lose games right? or to miss games rather. And then they put that in, which is, I, I think really, really interesting in a way. It, it's possible that they put this language in their contracts as a direct result of the 2015 to 2018 Randy Gregory saga. And ultimately it bit them in the backside because they lost the sort of post 2018 you know, recovering and, you know, young Charles Healy-esque Randy Gregory. Um, yeah. it, it, and the last thing I'll say is um, I, I do find it ironic that uh, a front office 
is asking its players to be held to a standard that they have neither the ability nor the interest to hold themselves to. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. I, th these are good points. Um, you know, also too, speaking of good points, uh, you know, a lot's happened since we last talked and I, um, you know, I just want to say that, you know, regarding the Mari Cooper thing, um, you yeah. know, the, the, you know, I just wanted to hand out a grade to you, you know, for last week. And, uh, I think your assessment of that whole situation was, well, it was definitely a, a lot more accurate than mine. Um, I'm still shocked by not so much that he's gone, but the fact that teams didn't value him as much as I thought they did. And, uh, that to me is the big surprise, uh, you know, they'll, they'll talk about they should have gotten more, but you know, Amari's value is Amari's value. And, um, it turns out looks like it wasn't as valuable as at least I thought it was. I, I, to me, I still, my uh, flag is still planted. I think Amari Cooper is a great player. And I look at that as probably as, as a mistake, but only time will tell, but there's 30 NFL teams that seem to agree with kind of where your mind was at rap. So I just want to say, well done with that one. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, um, as a professor, you know, you, you have a, you have a very rigorous grading scale. So if I did well in that, that means I must've studied well for the test. That makes me happy. Um, I will say that, you know, it's, it's not just that the player is only worth a fifth round, uh, pick it's that it's that the player's contract right yeah it's worth a fifth round pick and so i think we have to remember that always 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 in the nfl and particularly with the cowboys but always in the nfl you have to follow the money and so if yeah. we follow the money and you know we talked last time about there being sort of two um two lines on a graph one for uh sort of performance and the other and the other for um uh, pay and that once the pay exceeds the performance they're going to look to get rid of you and that's if we look at the if we look at the two guys who are seem to be declining players or who are not living up to the contracts that they signed a couple of years ago those two guys are amari cooper and lyle collins right and now they have released lyle collins you know which was the big news uh yesterday so yeah the cowboys are making moves you know Releasing Collins will save them. They will not be on the hook for his $10 million base salary. And um, they he was designated a post-June 1st cut. So Cowboys will absorb some of their dead money hit this season and uh, the rest uh, next season. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's how the Cowboys chose to handle this. And this is nothing new. I mean, it seems like the, we forget this every the, we forget this every year, this lesson, but every year at this time, there's a couple of veterans who they're trying to get rid of because their, their contract has begun to exceed their performance. Yeah. Well, I'm glad one of the veterans they didn't get rid of was Demarcus Lawrence. I think if there's one big win for team front office, it's got to be that one. Cause I, that one surprised me almost as much as the Cooper one in the sense of, I can't believe they got him to, to sign for what they did. It's a, uh, you know, it's crazy. I, I mean, Cowboys fans should be happy about it. Those that appreciate uh, Tank should definitely be pleased that not only did we get him for a ye an additional year, but now we get him for like 13.3 versus 20 pers. And I mean, that's that's a big keep in my opinion. No question. It was huge. And one of the reasons, frankly, why it was huge is it created enough space to keep Randy Gregory. And so it seemed like, you know, Tank was doing um, 
himself, but also the team is solid so that they could, they could keep his line mate. So that's one of the sort of bitter ironies of this whole situation. Um, one of the things I think that's important to remember here, uh, we, we do know a little bit more about this situation than we do about the Randy Gregory situation vis-a-vis -vis the front office's actions. Tank did tell us, or told some people in an interview, I'm sure that uh, most of you have seen this on Twitter, that it looked like things were going nowhere and then Jerry stepped in and basically made it happen. And and I think that um, that seems to be what some people are saying about the Randy Gregory situation as well, is that Stephen just kind of, you know, washed his hands of the entire affair and that Jerry stepped in at the last minute after like Adam Prafsica, who's one of their cap guys, was really having a lot of trouble make, uh, to see, sealing the deal rather. And um, it seems that Jerry, who is... Uh, pretty much incompetent in all areas of life except as a negotiator in which he's one of the best in the world uh can can come in and seal a deal and so i think that if if any of us are wondering what this cowboys look like without jerry jones and i think in many ways they'll be better without jerry jones because he's a knucklehead in so many ways but if you're wondering what the cowboys look like without jerry jones think about what it would have been like to lose tank mm. and and Leal and amari and randy because um, because the front office isn't capable or interested in negotiating with people. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. I don't know if I want to think about that, to be honest. Uh, that's, it's weird. I don't know what the transition of the Joneses will be. That's a, that's great conversation though. I'm, I'm sure we'll have uh, many, many podcasts dedicated to that when and if that time comes. But I'll tell you what, let's bring on, let's bring on uh, our, our good friend, the cool one and talk a little bit more about, some of the things that are going on in cowboy land. It is my succinct pleasure to welcome an old friend of mine, the great one cool customer. Cool, how are you? So good to see you here. I'm fine. Thanks for having me, guys. So as most of you who are our listeners know, uh, Cool is a longtime writer for Blogging the Boys. In fact, the uh, not the longest tenured writer, but I think um, certainly the uh, Nobel laureate of blogging the boys. Um, and I've always thought of him uh, not only as a, a comrade in arms, but as the outsider's insider. So uh, as someone who didn't grow up necessarily watching football, I think uh, the cool one always has had a really interesting kind of fresh perspective because he wasn't constrained and, and, and still continues not to be constrained by kind of conventional wisdom that's grown up around the game. And so he always has startling takes that uh, I've always really enjoyed and found surprising. And he's one of the best football minds out there. And so I'm really, really happy to have a chance to sit down and, and talk with him about the Cowboys. We haven't had a chance to do this for quite some time. So this is, this is a uh, long overdue. Um, so I tell you what, let's, let's, let's get this thing underway, shall we? All right. So Cowboy fans are fed up with what's been going on this offseason. It's just maddening the levels of emotion going on right now. Fans are livid. But should they be? Now that we have OCC with us, we want to play a little game called Are You Mad, Bro? That makes me angry. I am upset. You mad, bro? <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> How it works is, I'm going to throw out some emotionally charged narratives, and I want you guys to explain to me whether or not Cowboy fans have a right to be mad. So, you ready for this? Go ahead. I hope to live up to that introduction. <laughs> All right. The first one. The Cowboys were stupid to leak the potential release while trying 
to trade their players. That's got to be annoying, right? What do you think, OCC? So, yeah, on the, on the face of it, it's, it's stupid. Uh, the only thing is we, we don't have enough information to judge that. They might have leaked that purposely to drum up interest. Uh, it, it's really, really hard. Uh, you know, with the, with the Joneses, we tend to think the worst. And most of the time it's true, I feel. Uh, but in this case, I'd probably give them the benefit of the doubt. They probably thought something about leaking uh, that stuff. But maybe that's my rose-colored outlook. I don't know. I think one of the things that we as fans forget is that a, a great deal of the information that the media and you know other sort of you know t- Twitter uh, you know insiders get is from agents. So in fact, I think a, there have been a couple of meteoric Twitter careers that really owe the owe themselves to the fact that someone made it in uh, tight with an agent and has become basically a mouthpiece 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 for that agent. And so I think one of the things that we continually do is blame the front office and particularly the Joneses for their loose-lipped um, you know, management of the team, when the reality is a lot of times the, it's the agent who's releasing the information. And so um, I, in this case, if we think about this, so the Cowboys are trying to shop a player. They're talking to a bunch of teams. Um, I'm sure those teams are probably talking to the agent to see if, if, the, if any kind of salary adjustment is possible at all. Cowboys have talked about a salary adjustment being possible at all. Um, there's just too many conversations happening. So there, there, there's 100, 100 people who know about this long before we do. And so any one of those people could be leaking it. And, and you know, 89 of those people have a reason to do so. So I think that, you know, the knee-jerk reaction is to blame the front office. I think in, in some instances, yeah, they're absolutely guilty. But um, I think we fail to see the bigger picture. Uh, and so our, our ire is directed, um, at least for this particular reason, sometimes in the wrong direction. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't put my mind around the idea that the words that got leaked end up costing them any, any more that they could have got for Cooper. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but, uh, you know, I heard it be described as chum in the water. You know, to try to get, you know, a, a bigger bite. And uh, so to me, I don't know. I, I'm certainly not angry about that one. But another one. So this one's real popular right now, and it's been for, for years, is the Cowboys don't ever do anything in free agency. You know, boo-hoo. They don't do anything to make their team better. And Stingy Steven is just a penny-pitching, cotton-headed ninny-mugging. Do you agree? <laughs> I, I, I agree on the surface, but again, I think I disagree on principle. Uh, it's super annoying. Every time a free agency comes around, we're sitting here on our thumbs and not doing anything as, as, you know, as, as Cowboys Nation, if you will. Uh, and really, the last big signing, I think that might have been Brandon Carr 10 years ago, uh, and they haven't really done anything since. Uh, but I read a tweet the other day, don't know who it was from, or, or don't remember who it was from, that said the teams that invest heavily in free agency are usually the teams that had bad drafts three to five years ago. And that kind of makes sense. Now, I, haven't, I haven't run any quantitative analysis of that, but typically you have to go to free agency when you suck at drafting. Now, uh, the, the Cowboys may not necessarily be the best drafting team. In fact, they aren't the best drafting team, but they're not bad at drafting. They've had some success. And when we look at free agency overall, we need to understand that the money they spend 
is not sexy money because they spend it on their own players most of the time. And then uh, at the end, there's not that much money left for the big money signings anymore. If you sign, you know, take this year, if you franchise tag a tight end, you give a, you give a defensive end uh, guaranteed money uh, all the way to retirement. Uh, that's just your own guys. Uh, yeah. And uh, that, that's where a lot of the money goes. You can only split the cake one way, as Stephen Jones would probably say, to my embarrassment. Uh, but they spend on their own guys. That's why free agency is typically not very big and, and they would go. So, and they're trying to, and this is, this is a criticism if you will, of, of, of Jerry Jones. They're always trying to shortcut the process. They're trying to find, you know, they're trying to be uber clever uh, about who they sign. Uh, Greg Hardy, uh, all, everybody they tried to sign. You know, uh, Malik Hooker, well, that might turn out to be a good example. You know, you, you get guys coming off Achilles injuries, suspensions, whatever they have, trying to shortcut the process. Uh, it's not very gratifying as a fan. You see the other teams, that, you know, who are in deep cap trouble, investing like crazy. And uh, we're, we're not doing much. But I, I think uh, it's the more sustainable approach, even though it hasn't led to the Cowboys anything. Yeah, yeah. So, so Rebs. On a scale from Fonzie to the Incredible Hulk, how mad are you at their approach in free agency? <laughs> um, uh, that's a, I, my, my mind is now just being boggled by that by that uh, that spectrum that has those two people at either end. Um, I, I'm actually not that mad, and I think that there's, so. There's a couple of things. One is uh, the the point that that Cool made about teams that draft well and teams that don't uh, is, is I think a really important point, and you know, the Cowboys have stated uh, many, many times that what they really want to do is draft and develop and then reward their guys. Um, the great Katie Drummond, old colleague of ours, had a really, I thought, I found really persuasive article a couple, three days ago in which he sort of talked about the there's a certain profile for the kind of player the Cowboys want to reward with the second contract. And that's someone who's been on campus, who's contributed, who, you know, et cetera, who's contributed to their success. And they want to reward that. And I think that actually works well internally and in the locker room. People see that, you, you know, you, you come in. Uh, you work hard um, and, you, and you get paid. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the Cowboys are always right up at the cap every year. So it's not like they're not spending money. I mean, they're they're spending up to the limit of the cap. Now, whether they're doing some sort of thing, uh, uh, you know, in, in terms of mortgaging, mortgage, mortgaging the future with their cap or wildly doing so in the way that sometimes other teams do, probably not. But it you know, it's not like they're trying to save money or, or, or you know, there, there's a $2 million savings that pleases Stephen Jones more than winning does. Um, I, I think they're, they're uh, you know, an economically conservative team now after many years of being a spendthrift team that got burned again and again and again by overspending on guys. And, and you know, um, Cool gave us a couple of examples. And so, it's i think that's a narrative that's really hard to sustain so i'm not mad about it at all so i'm uh yeah i'm 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 fonzie um you know i i think they could be a little more daring i think that uh i would like to see them the one place i would like to see them and this isn't really about spending more money this the one thing i would really like to see them take more advantage of and be a little bit more risky in is spending third day draft picks for um other guys for other teams for other teams cast offs I think that's uh, a place where, you know, we we're just talking about how they're always trying to be clever and squeeze value. That's a great place where they're, I think, failing to squeeze value. But maybe we'll get to that uh, a little bit in the, in, you know, later in this conversation. So, and 
speaking of value, this is for either of you guys. Do, do you think Steven is worse than Jerry? Uh, yes, uh, for sure. Uh, unqualified, yes. And there's a there's a couple of reasons to that. Now, you know, we're far away from the team, so it's it's kind of hard to to uh, might be overanalyzing the situation. But here's my here's my take. I think that Stephen Jones and all, all three Jones kids have completely bought into this myth of the Cowboys as something special. They think. You know, it's a privilege to pay for the Cowboys. And uh, and they kind of carry that over in their entire attitude, at least Stephen Jones does, uh, in, in negotiation with, with, uh, with his players. Uh, we see that, or we hear at least, uh, that he's been kind of aloof, kind of distant, and maybe not fully involved in the negotiations the way a, a normal GM should. And then Jerry has to come in to save the day repeatedly with, with the tank, uh, with, and, and they tried the same with Gregory. At least that's what we heard. Now, some people have, have posited uh, that uh, that's a good cop, bad cop routine. I think that's, a, that's an invention of the Cowboys PR department to try to save the day. Uh, I think, uh, so what I, what I like about Jerry at the end of the day, he's a guy who takes risks. He does some really stupid stuff, uh, but, uh, but you know where he's coming from. He's, I think he's trying to win the Super Bowl to save his life. You know, he, he's... He has a few years left. He's trying everything he can. Uh, he's also the guy who has the special relationship with the players. It's not Stephen Jones. Stephen Jones is an aloof kind of guy who probably has a corner office somewhere and thinks he's super important, but uh, but doesn't play a bigger role with, with the team or with the players. Uh, there, there's no relationship. So, yes, I think uh, I think Stephen Jones, uh, or, or maybe another way to look at that is which team in the NFL would hire Stephen Jones? I don't know anybody who would hire him. Uh, whereas most other GMs, I could make a case, well, you know, maybe they could do this or that. And yes, Stephen Jones doesn't have the GM in his title. That's still Jerry. Uh, but he's the de facto guy uh, behind the scenes, at least. So, unqualified, yes. Rabs, you have a thought on that? My only thought is in 25 years, we're going to have the same conversation about Stephen and Spalding. Well, you, well you, uh, here's a thought. I think what we're going to have once Jerry is gone is a, succession type infighting of of the kids over control and who runs what and suddenly uh, jerry jr uh, pops up and says well but i think i can run the team a lot better than steven uh, and uh, well, there's going to be a lot of infighting on this and uh, second generation everything we know about all the companies that had, had strong founders as soon as it passes the second generation the company is in trouble it's very very seldom that you have uh, a clear succession plan and all that working and it's going to happen to the Cowboys and we're going to hate it. And, uh, and it's going to be a lot worse than people perceive it to be today because at the end of the day, every three to four years, we make the playoffs, which is better than yeah. nothing. Yeah. I mean, look, look what happened to the Broncos when Pat Boland died. Basically it was a bloodbath among the siblings to try to gain control of, of the cash cow. And, um, and they had to sell as a result because they, they, they simply could not, Resolve it at the table. So, Rabs, I'm going to start with you on this one. You know, you guys talking about, you know, Jerry's trying things. You know, he wants to win. You know, I'm totally buying into that. But, you know, I don't know if Cowboys Nation is completely. So, so one of the things we've been hearing around is the Cowboys are purposely trying to make themselves worse. They don't care about this season. Rabs, surely they can't be serious. 
uh, they are serious and don't call me Shirley. Um, uh, I think they, I, I think that's just people getting deep into their feels, frankly. Uh, I think that, again, one of the things that, that, tr that plagues Cowboys Nation is we have a strangely long memory when, when we're thinking about the fact that they haven't, you know, been to an NFC championship game in X number of years, but a strangely short memory when we forget that there's an annual cycle and on this day every year, the same thing's happening. And so this, this week every year, uh, the team is worse because there are guys who leave and they haven't found guys to replace them yet. And that's what happens every year. Good guys leave. Guys you guys you who, who you remember because they made a great play, they leave because that's the nature of the beast. You know, there's 25 to 35 new guys on the roster every year. And so this is the, this is the sort of standard roster churn. Um, so to make that kind of claim at this particular point in the year is particularly foolish, I think, because it's it, it, this is the time of the year where that's um, necessarily going to be the case. Uh, you know they'll fill they'll fill all the they'll fill all the holes in free agency. Maybe not be with players that we love. It may not be with with um, guys who are first round draft picks five to ten years ago. It may not be you know with the you know the the kind of names that that the Twitterati like to throw out there. Um, many of whom would be you know uh, financially inadvisable to pursue. Um, and then and then they'll have a draft and it'll probably be a, a decent draft. And then suddenly you know around um otas we'll start to get excited about the team again and that that's the cycle and that's the sort of emotional roller coaster that we go on every year and then every year we seem to be surprised when we find ourselves like just getting over the hill to go down the the, the initial steep slope like we did this last year why can't we, re we remember that yeah i i generally i generally agree I think one other issue that, that's clouding our collective judgment is a, a fundamental misunderstanding of the salary cap and how it works. And every time we see stuff going on with the cap, we think, oh, they're, 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 they're pushing money this way or that way, and, and nobody understands the mechanics or nobody is, is able to properly explain what's going on. So it always looks like, oh, they're getting ready for the year after or, or in three years because they have this huge, I don't know, salary cap issue that they need to solve so they can't sign anybody we have the, as, as rap said we have the same discussion every year um and it's uh i don't think it's true i think they're focused on winning in 2022 uh as much as they've been every year uh and and uh and there's also this notion of that goes along with it you know we're in rebuild mode well as as rap said if you if you exchange 30 percent of the players every year you're always in rebuild mode uh and uh if you're, the question is always with the, with the NFL football team, do you have a quarterback? First question. If not, you're in rebuild. If you have a quarterback, you're not in rebuild. You're trying to put pieces together to win. And I think the Cowboys are in a good position. You can always say, oh, you know, should it, should they have kept Cooper and, and Collins and, you know, what's going on? Some big name departures. At the same time, in a year's time, we'll all be happy for the extra comp picks that we get for those guys. And, and that's also an annual rite of passage where we collectively pat ourselves on the back and say, look how clever we were to get all these topics. So it's a, it's a cycle. We want it both ways. That's the way I'm, I'm never going to look at it any differently now as far as rebuild mode. It's all, do you have a quarterback? And then everybody yep. else is, is always trying to revamp. So, okay. So let's switch things up a bit. You know, here's another one. The star is a country club. This Cowboys team is soft. When the going gets tough, the Cowboys crumble. 
OCC, how angry does that make you? Uh, uh, very. Though I, I probably wouldn't use the, uh, the term country club. I think it's a circus. And I think there's so much distraction in, in, in Dallas. I, I don't think the team is soft. Uh, I, not at all. But I think the, staying focused on football, I mean, come on. If you're in Green Bay, what are you going to do? Nothing. Uh, th- nothing. But in Dallas, the, the spotlight is on all the time. And then, you know, players get crazy ideas about their eyewear or their brand or whatever you want to call it. And it's it's so distracting. I uh, I really liked a couple of years ago, somebody coined the term the uptown flu uh, for, for Greg Hardy and, and, and his acolytes who, you know, who went to party in Dallas hard uh, after practices on Thursday, I think it was. And... Uh, that's a, that's the type of environment we have in, in, in Dallas. It's a circus all the time, and it's distracting, and everybody's just looking after their own, uh, uh, how do you call it, their own image, their own brand, their own interests, and the team aspect is the one that suffers from that. Uh, and last year, which was very interesting to me, teams kept talking, uh, the guy, the players kept talking about, you know, this is the best team we've had in a long time, this is... And that was really a kind of refreshing vibe from the team because for the first time in a long time, I felt like there was something cohesive growing, which is not always the case in Dallas. You know, in the past, we've talked about team chemistry and and stuff like that. It's always something that's swirling around in Dallas. And I think it's because it's such a big circus. And it's not just Jerry as the the, uh, P.T. Barnum of, of, of Dallas. But it's everything. It's the it's the media. It's the fans. It's Texas, and everything is bigger, and, and it's just a circus all the time. And hey, we're America's team, so that comes with the territory. Yeah, and we were America's team before Jerry showed up too. So I mean, yeah, also, so, yeah. What do you think, Rabs? So when when you say they're not soft, uh, cool. I think that's really interesting because uh, I think that physically they're probably not soft, but. Part of me wonders if the circus makes them mentally soft. And by mentally soft, I just mean maybe not. I mean, you're not, you're not maybe not dedicating quite the same percentage of your time every week to football as other teams are because of the distraction. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I, I feel like there is, a, there is a little bit of a kind of laissez-faire, boys will be boys kind of attitude that emanates from the front office, specifically from the Joneses offices. Um, that in some ways is connected to um, a, a a disinterest in accountability, put it that way, because they're, they're clearly not interested in accountability. I mean, that, that's one of the great benefits of being a billionaire is you're not accountable to anybody and you're, you're essentially above the law. And, and I feel like the, the Jerry sort of like wants his boys to be able to live that way too a little bit. And I don't know. I, I, I don't think this is one of those things that like, you know, defines the, the sort of the, the ultimate like fate um, of the team. But I, I think it's one of many things that sort of add up like the circus atmosphere and the lack of accountability. I think they all sort of add up. And so that the team just seems to kind of not ever really enjoy that upward swell that we've seen great teams have toward the end of the year. They seem to sort of be exhausted by the end of the year. And part of me wonders if it's just because of there's so much going on and they're just emotionally spent by the time December rolls around. So I'd like to jump into that because one of my favorite episodes with the Cowboys, I don't know when that was exactly three years ago was when we signed Michael Bennett for eight games or something. Mm, I don't remember what it was. And he 
I, I don't know which game it was, but after three or four games, he exploded in the locker room and started shouting around because of the lack of accountability, lack of leadership. And it took, you know, it took a guy at the end of his career to come to Dallas and to tell the guys what was going on. And, and so, so that's clearly a lack of leadership and that has to do that's on the players. Now there, there might be mm -hmm. different reasons for that. The, the, the circus like atmosphere, the lack of accountability overall, but it's, it's, it is, it feels intrinsic to the team uh, that yes. there's something missing there, a veteran presence or somebody who's won something who knows what it takes to get there. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I don't. I don't think they practice less or, or anything like that. I just think there's no, no. I don't. I don't either. But I. But I think that there's always some kind of thing. Just kind of. There's like. A, there's always a sort of shiny object that, that can distract the the, the sort of magpie. Uh, so it's not that they're practicing less, but I wonder if they're just thinking about football a little bit less, or or, or they're thinking too much about other stuff, as you said, uh, too much about their next contract. Mm -hmm. Which in Dallas, and you know, coming back again to uh, to, to KD's article, uh, he said, you know, in Dallas, as soon as you please the Joneses, uh, you know, things go your way, uh, or can go your way, and if you're constantly looking for that next contract or waiting, it's, it's positioning yourself, it's all about you, and never about the team, and then it gets it, it gets strange. Yeah, well said. All right, so. Let's just kind of bring all of these together. My last, my last question for you in this segment is: the Cowboys will never win a Super Bowl with the Joneses in charge. Ah, does that make you angry? <laughs> Every year I go into the season thinking this is the year they'll do it this year, and I think I have the arguments on my side. They always fail. I'm not sure that it's really the Joneses by themselves. Uh, uh, but it's super frustrating, uh, uh, and and you know we're we're part of the uh, little cog in the media machine that's pushing the Cowboys every year. We think this is the year, uh, and uh, and that optimism doesn't go away, uh, and it's it's something that is uh, intrinsic, I think, to the NFL, uh, to the NFL ecosystem where every team has a chance every year. Uh, except if you're the Patriots and have Tom Brady, then you win everything all the time. Um, but uh, uh, I, I think, okay, I'm going to open up a bigger box here. I think the way the Cowboys, Jerry Jones in particular, and all the people around him uh, approach the game of football is probably not conducive to winning in today's NFL. I think they have a they have a model of football in their mind that's uh, uh, and in Jerry's case particularly I think he's still looking at the '90s team and taking that as the blueprint for how to win in the NFL. And hey, you have three Super Bowls, you're probably allowed to think like that. But it's it's uh, the whole Cowboys uh, strategy uh, way of operating is not conducive to winning today. They can always get lucky and win, uh, which every team can. Uh, but uh, we're, we're playing old-style football, or we have an old-style football operation, and increasingly we're seeing that that's not going to work. And uh, you know, if we take if we take Ezekiel Elliott as as the one example for that, it's not that Ezekiel is is overpaid. Yeah, he's paid a lot of money and is the highest-paid running back. But uh, you know, it's one running back on the team. 
he doesn't even have the biggest contract on the team. His contract in the NFL is like the 50th biggest. Oh, okay, it's, uh, you can argue about that. But everything else that follows from that, where you invest in your running back, you don't invest in other parts of the team, you build your team around the running back, all that idea of, you know, you can win games with the running back is, is just, you know, well, if you had Emmett Smith on your team, you probably still think that. So that's that's where he's coming from. But you do, you don't win in the NFL with a star running back. It's it's you know Adrian Peterson can tell you a lot of stories about not winning, and he was one of the best. Um, so it, I think it's the way they are, the, the, the model for, with which they operate is just not suited to winning permanently and long term in the, in the NFL. Yeah, when they drafted Ezekiel Elliott, I, I characterized that as a failure of imagination because they just couldn't see past, you know, the 2014 season in which they relied early on, on in the season on, on that young, terrific offensive line and DeMarco Murray before he kind of got ground down. And it just felt like they were trying to recapture, you know, the 90s and that year in, in all of their decision making and essentially have been sensed with their commitment to, to Zeke. One of the things that you were saying, Cool, about you mentioned uh, real briefly the Patriots and, and Tom Brady. And I would say, yes, they win because of Tom Brady, but in, in many ways they win because Bill Belichick and the other decision-making forces in that particular organization understand that this is a luck-based league and they make their decisions accordingly. So the idea then is if it's a luck-based league, you don't make decisions based on, uh, on um, that you're going to, that, 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 that you're going to win because of skill. You sort of go in, you go into all of your, you go into all of your different situations, sort of thinking, okay, uh, we need to create the slightest edge we can here because it's also a parody, basically, right? And so, yeah. so the Belichicks understand uh, uh, the Belichicks of the world, but, all, but the Patriots understand um, that if you create a slight advantage over, um, you know, over myriad different areas of the organization and different areas of the game. And oftentimes that means by by sort of going over the boundary line of, of what's what's illegal or allowable, but that's that's okay because ultimately you're going to win. Um, that that you can that you can ultimately uh, you know that that will confer advantages. Um, so one of the things they do, one of the things that they, that they do is it, when they would, when Brady and Belichick were together, is um, they would continue to pass late in games and leads, right? Because they understand that. In a in a in a luck based league, you know, a, a weird bounce of the ball in a close game can can you know ruin ruin your season or, or, or get you thrown out of the playoffs. And I think that um, that's just one of of many many ways in which in which they they had that approach. And so this takes us back to our previous conversation. I think about the Joneses and the culture of the Cowboys, which is that they don't do that. I think there's lots of those little areas where they go, eh, the heck with it. Ah, it doesn't matter. Let's overrate our talent. We're good. We're gonna win. We're gonna win because we're more talented. Instead of saying everybody's talented, oh, for every, every yeah, exactly. Everybody's talented. Um, every team, every team is more or less equally talented, with a few exceptions. Um, but so where you win is Lady Luck blesses you, and you squeeze little advantages out of every aspect of your practice that you possibly can. And I don't mean football practice. I mean your your football operations that you that you possibly can. So until they until they get better at doing that, I think that, like like Cool said, if they win, it's gonna be a fluke. It's gonna be a weird fluke where the 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 bouncing ball or the the late uh, pass interference penalty happens to go their way, not because they're suddenly gonna recapture the spirit of the, of the '90s and win every playoff game by double digits. But they could do it then. 
They could do it. There's a chance. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, of course. Um, but you know, um, the Browns can do it. I mean, any team can do it. The Falcons can do it. The Lions can do it. It's built. It's built for for people to get into the tournament and to get lucky. And and especially on those lucky bounces. Yeah, if look if you look at uh, at recent Cowboys history, tons of games were decided by one play. Tons of playoff games. The catch. The catch. If Des had caught it, or well, he did. We know he did. But uh, that changes the entire season. That changes everything. And it's, yeah, it's one it changes play. the narrative of this team. It changes yeah. changes our conversation about the Joneses. It changes everything. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and, and the Romo, the Romo fumbled field goal. I mean, it's all. You know, the, the Patrick Creighton, I didn't see the ball. It, was, it could have been a touchdown pass. I mean, every one of those games came down to a play that could have decided it. And this is this is the NFL that Jerry Jones has created. This is the NFL that's unbelievably popular because every game is agonizingly close. It's incredible entertainment. And he, so he's, he's basically created a league that has outlawed and eradicated the kind of team building and um, the kind of games that his early 90s and mid-90s teams you know, um, there was a hallmark of their uh, of of those teams and and how they won. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right. So before we get too depressed and slash our wrist, let's let's change let's change gears a little bit. I want to play a second game here. Um, it's time to play Smash That Meme. Um, this is how it works. So we're going to offer a widely held Cowboys meme, and we're going to ask you how you want to smash it. You have two options, both of which involve smashing. You can either smash the like button, i.e., I totally subscribe to this meme and I like it, or you can grab a mallet and break it into pieces. So when I offer you a meme, I want you to say, I'm hitting the like button or I'm grabbing a hammer. Okay. okay. All right. So here's the first meme. We have, we have, these are, these are sort of like, you know, common, common things. I think most of these, you know, are, are part of, uh, you know, Twitter mythology because that, that's the place where, you know, we get most of our Cowboys information. So the first one is this, uh, this goes back to last season. Uh, and the, and in some ways is the root of the disappointment of last season, potentially. Here's the meme. Vic Fangio was right. Denver gave the rest of the league the blueprint for how to stop the Cowboys offense. Hammer time. I'm smashing that meme. That's... <laughs> okay, tell us why. Ridiculous. Uh, so, so first of all, I think, let me think very hard. I think they dropped to 6-2 after that Denver game. 
They finished 12-5. So after the Denver game, they were 6-3. So what blueprint? What blueprint? Sure, the Denver played them very well. Uh, but, you know, it's a chess game. You adjust. And the Cowboys saw, you know, that they had a weakness there. They adjusted. Uh, and, and, and that was it. And the, I think the losses came against uh, uh, the, the Cardinals. Everybody expected that. Uh, Kansas City. And there was a third one that I forgot. So, uh, no, smash that meme. That's, that's baloney. How about you? How about you, Danny? What are you thinking? Are you, are you, you're going to smash, but how are you going to smash? You know, I hate to be the, the first you know comment I make is going to be, you know, going the other way with the, the cool one. But uh, I'm actually between the two choices. I'm going to smash the like button in the sense of this. I mean, I, I don't believe that maybe necessarily there was a blueprint, but I believe that they set the stage that Prescott has some vulnerabilities going on coming back from his injury and we're going to challenge him in this manner. And we're going to, you know, that's kind of where the shell started to take, take place. And so they, the way they approached defending the Cowboys was a little bit different. And I think that it, it showed that the Cowboys, you could actually, the offense showed some vulnerability. And I, I do think that, and, and while this whole, uh, blueprint thing i mean everybody's always looking at this and doing this and adjusting to this and there's there's so much that goes on in terms of you know what following what others have done but i really do think that it did kind of give teams an idea of how they can kind of slow down the cowboys offense because there were some things that just kind of kept happening following that game so i'm of the two choices i'm gonna i'm gonna smash the like button for that one I think one of the interesting things about this question is that um, there were about four or five concurrent incidents and it's really, really hard to separate them. So there's the Denver game and clearly something happened like Dem Denver, you know, I mean, Denver took him to the shed and, and, and hit him with a tire iron. But um, that wasn't long after, as you, as you were saying earlier, Dak's injury, it wasn't long after Tyron's injury. Uh, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't long after they were making uh, switches in the offensive uh, left guard position because Connor Williams was getting um, called for too many holding penalties, and so there was this tremendous upheaval. And, and I think I think there was some like uh, Cooper was injured for a game and missed a game. Gallup came back, and they were trying to reintegrate him into the into the passing offense. So there's just a lot of weird stuff that happened all at the same time. It's a really complicated uh, equation any way to try to figure out how an offense works and why an offense is successful. And in this case, I think particularly, particularly challenging to do so. All right. Thanks for, your, for weighing in gentlemen. Uh, next one. This is a favorite of mine and I, I have gotten into more than one kerfuffle on Twitter as a result of this particular meme. The salary cap is a myth. Danny, <laughs> uh, you want to take this? Sure. I'll, I'll go first. Um, so actually, um, so I'm I'm actually gonna I'm smashing this one. I don't I think it's a real thing. Um, I mean we know that it's flexible, but I don't think that like the money it, it always goes places and teams are always having to react. So there's future decisions that have to be made based upon the current situation. So it's it's I mean teams just can't file bankruptcy. I mean they they have to pay. The, you know they have to pay eventually. I mean they can they can keep moving it out and but eventually it, it, 
it will catch up to teams. And we don't hear about it so much because we hear the successes. But if you look at the teams within our own division, I mean, you look at like Washington and the Giants. I mean, look at the things that they're doing. I mean, they're all the where do they get the money to spend? And but because they're doing reckless things in free agency, they're bringing in the Galladay's and and um, you know I don't. There's a one year, the 2016 season. The Giants actually had a good team because they just went all in. But then look, where were they after that? It's like so. I there's repercussions that come with this. So I I mean to me, yes, it's flexible, but it's a real thing. I, it's not a myth. Sasquatch is a myth. You know, do they got Sasquatch where you're at? You know, cools. I mean, you... <laughs> no, we don't. We don't. <laughs> we uh, we don't have monsters lurking in forests in Germany. We like our forests. No, uh, but I, I I think I'm on the same page basically as Danny. But I'm going to take the like button uh, because I think uh, I, technically, of course, the salary cap exists. So technically, it's wrong. But I think the spirit of what this, this meme is saying is the cap is a myth is the cap is super flexible. Danny said the same thing. So we were basically in agreement. And I think um, uh, fans, teams underestimate just how flexible it is. Teams can create tons of money. The Cowboys this year going into free agency had the second worst uh, cap situation. I think they were 20 million over or, or something like that. Today, they're 28 million under. So right. with a few uh, adjustments and, uh, and an Amari Cooper trade, uh, they, they generated 50 million. So I think there's always room for a team to make moves if they want to. It's just a question of who they want to. Uh, and and the, the cap is simply an accounting tool for how you shift money around between years. And you can push as much as you want, basically, in the future years. You always have to pay the piper at the end. And, and, uh, and Danny made that point. But I think in the, the the spirit of the meme, I buy into that. The cap is a myth. It's it's super flexible. That's true, and I think one one of the reasons for that, of course, is that until until COVID hit, uh, the cap is, is expanding every year, right? So there's so much more yes. money every year, and so that and so teams are using that as a kind of release valve, so that yes. um, so that if they do get in a little bit of trouble by restructuring a contract, they can release pressure, and it's pretty easy to do that. So I think one of the things that that fans get a little bit confused by is that there are sort of two terms here that, that tend to be imbricated that I think are, are really important to separate. One is, is the salary cap, which as Danny, I think rightly said, is a very real thing. There is a certain finite amount of money that teams can have on their yes. books, right? Salary cap hell, however, is a myth, right? So, so the, no team has been in salary cap hell since teams learned 25 years ago how to navigate the cap. So maybe the early Cowboys were in salary cap hell because they hadn't figured it out yet and the cap was a new thing but the salary cap um salary cap hell is something we, we almost never see you have to really be inept um to 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 get yourself in um in what they call salary cap hell where you're you know forced to cut you know productive players who are actually playing to the level of, of their contract um okay so this is actually something we touched on earlier in the, in the conversation but i think it's worth revisiting for a couple reasons because i think it's a really interesting and complex issue uh next myth or not the next myth, next meme, excuse me. The Cowboys are one of the league's best drafting teams. Cool? Nope. No, no but we've nope. been told they are. Tell us why. I think the Cowboys have been luckier than other teams at drafting. Uh, for and, and their track record, for sure, says they draft better than, than other teams. Some, and everybody has their 
Taco Charlton's and, and some exceptions. But if you, you know, we all follow the Cowboys as close as it can be. And we all know about all the stories of how those draft picks happened. And they're always, always super lucky to get what happened. If you, if you think about the stories of who they wanted to draft as a quarterback uh, when they drafted Dak in the fourth round, that was their fourth choice, I think, of, of QBs. And he landed in their lap. And if you think about the, I think it was Brock Osweiler. No, it was not. It doesn't matter who it was. But the, the players they were looking to get and didn't get, I'm so happy their plans didn't work out. So it shows that some of the some of the drafting that they do doesn't doesn't work. And uh, and and they got lucky. Uh, they also play a high risk game. Uh, we talked about Jerry the gambler at the very beginning. Uh, the Jalen Smiths, all all the injured people they get, but they they get lucky. They got Lyle Collins. Uh, you know, that was uh, Jerry got on a plane and flew down there and, and talked to the mom and, and, and got that thing done. Um, but I think overall there. Will McClay has has um, has cleaned up the Cowboys draft room. I think the process is much better. Uh, and I think that gives them a, a slight structural advantage. But the amount of luck that went into some of the good picks they had which we then take as the example of they're good at drafting. Pure luck, man. Pure luck. Most of the guys that were successes dropped into the lap by mistake because they couldn't get the guys they wanted. And and, that goes, and it's not just something recent. That goes back, you remember the the DeMarcus Ware uh, pick. Uh, Coach didn't want him. He wanted Marcus Spears. Uh, And uh, and they said, well, and Jerry came in and said, oh, well, I want DeMarcus Ware. And, and so, so you can look at a lot of those picks that just happened by accident. And remember who he actually, who, who helped him make that decision. You know, so one of the things that, that's, that Jerry's famous for is he's going to make the decision that's basically in alignment with the last guy he talks to. Do you remember who it was that, that he talked to that convinced him to draft DeMarcus Ware? No. no. Rick what? Goslin, the, the, the writer for the Dallas Morning really? News. Yeah. Rick Gosling was like, no, you got to get this guy. Because, you know, Rick, Rick at the time was really plugged in and was doing his, yeah, yeah. his draft analysis every year. And so um, it's just, you know, I mean, sometimes it's Larry Lacewell and sometimes it's Barry Switzer. It's, it's you know, it, it's, it's, it's asinine. I think you're absolutely spot on. Uh, um, Danny, what, 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 do you, what do you think about this particular meme? Well, I haven't agreed with the cool one yet. So, I mean, why, why start now? <laughs> um, so I... I think they're they're a really good drafting team. Uh, I think if you look, if you put everything on the table and the the, the players that they have acquired, because we all talked about how they don't do anything in free agency. Well, if that's true, which it is true, then how are they competitive from year to year? It just comes from what they've done through the draft. And I totally agree. They they lucked into. We we have seen the behind the scenes. We've seen when you know talking this Jerry out of this guy, you know Paxton Lynch, Connor, you know going through this. Yeah, completely got lucky for sure. But I mean, all the teams have that own their own kind of luck going through the drafts, and you know, and the players that they get. So I think, I think that happens with everybody. But I really think if you if you just I mean, and Rabs and I we were talking about this earlier. You look at just the first round. I mean, they have just completely knocked it out of the park with some of the the picks. I would put up the Cowboys' first round haul in the last decade against anyone, and I don't think anybody comes close to be honest because. They have acquired some great talent, and they're not so great in later rounds, but they're 
they're pretty good. And, and one thing that I, I do appreciate about Will McClay and maybe whoever's doing this, but they, they value their draft picks. They're not so reckless with them. And they, they used to be, I mean, they, we know what Jerry used to do. And um, now getting any kind of draft capital out of those guys is like pulling teeth. They just won't give it up. Um, and I think that's important because you can turn around and you can use the players for your Michael Gallups and your Dalton Schultz and on the players that they're able to, you know, give second contracts to. So I, um, yeah, to me, I, I don't know where they stand, or, but I, they're pretty high to me. So I'm definitely smashing the like on this one. I think that, uh, I, I mean, I, I think that you, in many ways, both of you make compelling arguments. One of the things I've been thinking a lot more about lately is if the cow, and this speaks to one of the things that you were saying earlier, cool, about them being lucky. And, you know, one of the examples you cited, rightly so, was the, Dak, uh, the Dak, the Dak Prescott pick, um, where, you know, he was like the fifth or sixth quarterback and they tried a bunch of different guys and, and, and they, they failed and suddenly he was there. Um, and when we had John Williams on three or four weeks ago, one of the things we were, uh, we were talking about, uh, with John, we had a conversation about Dak Prescott's career and, and there are sort of different, different pools of quarterbacks with whom his career could be compared. Um, and one of the pools is a bunch of guys who were basically first picks overall in the draft and came in and started immediately as rookies. And he's, he's comparable to, to, to those guys. He's comparable to Peyton Manning and, and, you know, those, those sort of guys who lead off a draft, Carson, um, Carson Palmer. I mean, those, those kind of guys, uh, because he came in, was productive immediately, led his team to victories immediately. And that's incredibly rare. And it's unheard of, uh, for a fourth round rookie, uh, quarterback. And the fact, of course, that they got uh, all pro caliber play from Tony Romo for years uh, after not expending a single draft pick is incredibly lucky. So I think one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is if it wasn't for those two gifts, if they hadn't had two elite quarterbacks fall into their laps, would we still think they were a good drafting team? Because they would, like all this quote unquote talent they have, would that talent be successful? I mean, you said early on in the conversation, you either have a quarterback or you don't. And so what if they had Travis Frederick and um, Tyron Smith and Zach Martin and, you know, below replacement level quarterback play? Those guys wouldn't be all pros. You know, they, they might have a good running game, but they'd be running into eight-man boxes all the time. And um, they would be probably a very moribund offense. So... I, I do think that that it's that particular sort of back-to-back -back incredible strokes of luck that do contribute to that to that particular meme. And and uh, the other thing is if if they had they would have had to chase a quarterback in the draft to get their franchise exactly guy, they would have spent two three maybe four of those first round picks to get the guy and would have ended up with I don't know Mitch Trubisky or something. Right. Uh, and, uh, and and then the record would look very different. So it's a good point. Having a QB in place allows you to uh, probably to draft better, at least in the first round. Yeah, uh, second and beyond, it's a, it's a different game, but um, it pro probably influences that uh, that uh, equation a little bit. Yeah, they didn't have to 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 pull a sort of RG three trade where you mortgage the next few years of your of your draft to try to to try to make that you know to get that lucky strike. Yeah, and um, if, you look at, if you look at the way they've been chasing uh, pass rushers in the draft, 
Mm. That's uh, that's where it gets a little bit shaky. Uh, you know, they they gambled big on on Randy Gregory, and that you know, I don't know whether that really paid off in the end. Uh, uh, they they reached for Taco Charlton, uh, and and got lucky on on Tank Lawrence. So, uh, and, and they had and, and they had the, the at the cost of a third round pick to trade up to get Tank because he was the last guy there. But you know, but and I, so I they. Don't they want to- don't want to disagree with Danny because he made he made good points too. Uh, if, you, right. if you look at their track record, it is good. It is good. It is very good. It is very good. Yeah. Um, okay. So speaking, uh, here, here we are talking about the draft and, and their track record. So here's here's the next one. The Ezekiel Elliott contract is an albatross. Danny, you want to start us off? Yeah. So this one. So I am going to begrudgingly smash the like on this. I, you know, this is a tough one for me because I've been pro Zeke for, well, since he was drafted, you know, like three weeks before he's drafted, I was just really big on Zeke. And I'll admit I was for the second contract and I just bought into it. I, I thought he was special. Um, but clearly I, well, I he would, was and, and is. Yeah. And yeah, he is. But I, I was, I was not willing to see the, all Everyone talking about how, you know, running backs don't matter. I know that's a meme in itself that's like, you know, and, I, and good football players are good football players. But I understand the point now with that. And the investments is definitely, you know, I'm definitely with you now, Rabs, with that's we should have went Ramsey and stuff. But, and the Cowboys have just completely just compound this mistake by just re-upping. And, I mean, no one's talking about Zeke except people that don't follow the cap. They don't. You know, because we're stuck with Zeke right now. So, yeah, it's um, that's a tough situation, and I um, I recognize it now. Versus before, I was like, no, you know, you know, he's a good player. He's special. We can we can make this work. I mean, I know we're giving him a lot of money, but you know, this is this is still doable. And now I'm just looking at it like, you know, just kind of trying to look away because of what a mess that it has created. I you know I'm going to I'm going to smash that with a hammer. I don't think it's an albatross at all. We're still um, we're still at odds. Uh, so if you if you look at um, so the Cowboys are paying their running backs this year something like 22 million, 22, 23, 21, I don't know the exact number. And they lead the league. They spend the most on running backs because of Ezekiel Elliott's contract. But most other teams they spend between 10 and 15 million. So the difference between Zeke Elliott and average NFL running back is 5 million. 5 million is peanuts. It's not going to cripple the team. It's not going to influence anything. And hey, I like Zeke as well. When he takes off, when he runs, I think it energizes the whole team. It energizes me watching. I like the guy. I but I fundamentally disagree with the choice of investing a high that kind of a draft pick into a, the running back position. Uh, I think they're by and large interchangeable. Uh, you also need to get lucky in the draft to get a good running back. There are tons of backs that didn't work out. But um, but it's not crippling the Cowboys in any way. I think the, the, all the knock-on effects are, are much bigger. Not drafting Jalen Ramsey, um, uh, focusing too much on the run game in, in in your in your entire football operation. Stuff like that is what's holding the Cowboys back. The, the cap impact is negligible. I think. Yeah. Uh, so so from a purely resource allocation, it was the wrong way to go. But it's not crippling. It's more the strategic implications. 
So it's not it's not necessarily the contract that's the albatross. It's the selection of that position where it was selected that's the albatross because there are a whole bunch of then residual effects. I agree. I, I, a lot of times people say when I when I you know continue to harp on the on the fact that I did not like that pick. Uh, what, what's the matter? Zeke's a great player, and I have to remind them it's not about the player. I actually like Zeke a lot, yeah. and I think the way you described it was exactly how I feel. When he gets the ball, um, especially his first couple of years when he had that explosive breakaway speed, it was it's thrilling. I mean, there's no more thrilling thing than a running back breaking through a hole. That's that's the the most thrilling thing about the sport for me. It's 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 I'll never get over how how cool it is when that happens. Um, you know, I will want to say, Rads, before you move on, I I do. I do think that in true Jones fashion, the Cowboys will see this and they will try to do a 180. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if you look at them trying to do, you know, supplement their running game with low cost investment. They're like, you know, draft picks, lower draft picks. Yeah. And I can totally see them just turn around and almost kind of like what they did after moving on from DeMarco Murray and just kind of, going through this because that's just how they operate. It's like, well, this was, you know, this didn't work. So let's, we're going to flip it, you know? And I just, I don't know. I have a, I have a feeling that's what, that will, that's what we'll see. And, you know, I don't know. I'm not too optimistic about Zeke's future, you know, in Dallas. Yeah. I'm not, I'm frankly not that optimistic about his future after his use in the first two or three years of his career. I mean, that that's the thing that never made sense to me. You're going to invest, you're going to invest a fourth, a fourth overall pick in the player. Okay, he's worth the fourth fourth overall pick, and he and he proved that he was worth the fourth overall pick. But when you when you draft him that high, you almost have to unless unless he's a failure. You you when you draft him, you know that the entire objective is to get a set, this player for a second contract because your first round your first round players you really want them to play for two contracts. So you're not spinning your wheels and replacing them every every four years because otherwise what you're doing is replacing your best players every four years and you're never really you're never, you're never really getting any better it takes us back to our 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 you know common cowboy, cowboy complaint you're not doing anything to get better but in in this case you're really not so the moment they said his name uh or you know pr- turn his card in so to speak um all of these other all these other sort of effects were locked into place um yeah, so I I I love the player. I, I I think that this is one of several examples of where they are not one of the best drafting teams in the league because I think they they don't value position. If 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 I was running a team, and again, you know, I'm not obviously they're better at what they do than I would be. But if I was running a team, I would always, whenever possible, try to get somebody who's at a money five position in the first round because that's where you want your top athletes. And I would staunchly avoid drafting people who are at high impact positions, specifically off ball linebacker and running back because those guys often run down and you're not going to get value in that second contract where you need to, if you're going to continue to build your roster and strengthen your roster. So last, last meme. And this is a particularly salient meme now in the wake of the uh, terrible (laughs) botched Randy Gregory situation. The Cowboys need to move Micah Parsons permanently to defensive end. Are you smashing the like? Or are you like grabbing a hammer? A lot. Like it a lot. That's uh, you, you know you're, <laughs> you 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 drafted an off the ball linebacker and you're converting him to a money five position. That's everything right there. 
you need to play your best players at the most critical positions. And if you look at, um, you know, if you look at uh, the cheapest players on a team, special teamers, they don't, they don't, they get paid dirt, tight ends, safeties, and off the ball linebackers. Nobody cares about it. You can get them. Uh, they're a dime a dozen in free agency, all of them. Uh, so if you're going to waste uh, Parsons' talent by putting him at linebacker, uh, uh, no. The one thing that you can say, uh, you could argue that part of, uh, of of Parsons' effect was the surprising way in which he lined up. Yeah, If you put him at, at DE all the time, you're taking away that element of surprise. So I, I think that's a fair point, and you'll probably have to scheme around that. But uh, I, I would... You know, 13 sacks, 13 sacks for a guy who had, I don't know, 400 pass rushes or something like that. I think 40, uh, 43% of defensive snaps he rushed. The, you, so there, it's got to be go. higher. It's got to be higher. Yeah, so so you, you need to get that guy more chances to to to, to rush the passer. And uh, whether that means playing him at defensive end or, or whatever position you invent for him, it doesn't matter. But that guy needs to go after the quarterback as much as he can. Yeah, I am proud to say that I finally agree with cools yes for sure i mean and rabs and i we talked about this a little earlier too and i and i think a, any snap where uh, micah is not rushing the passer is a, is a snap wasted and uh i i do think that he is a special player and you know he does create like a special position you know the, the linebacker where he he can do things from you know from different positions and, and attack you in different ways and i wouldn't like limit him strictly to an edge rusher but for sure he's i'm looking at him as he's my new edge rusher and you know we talked about what he did with limited limited snaps you know limited times rushing the passer you know and and i tweeted this earlier today it if you look at just the five games that randy gregory was gone i mean micah had had a sack in each one of them he had seven sacks total in just those five games he had more sacks in the game's you know, replacing Gregory than he had and all the other ones. So we don't know the potential of this guy. I mean, 13 sacks and, 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 and what he did, I mean, just let this guy loose. Um, and for sure, like, you know, like uh, OCC said, I mean, the Cowboys just might have gotten, you know, a cheap money five spot for the next four years because, you know, he gets the fifth-year option. So absolutely, there's your edge rusher. Let's turn him loose. I mean, talk about a place where the Cowboys lucked into something, right? Where they they blundered yeah. into drafting another yeah, off-ball linebacker for the second time in five years, and suddenly he became one of the in his rookie year, which is unheard of, one of the league's top pass rushing talents. You know, that there, just that just doesn't happen. The thing is, I mean, all this luck. I mean, there's something to be said about all this luck. I mean, I mean, they're they are making the the picks, so I mean. You have to give him credit for being so lucky, I guess. But yeah, I mean that's definitely a huge gift, a big surprise. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, and I, and I think it comes back to an earlier question. I think they're really well prepared for the draft. I think their their draft board looks good. Uh, but if we, even if we take the last draft, they were super focused on cornerbacks, and they would have picked them. And after the draft, we find out that that uh, that Parsons was was graded higher on the board than both cornerbacks. So they and they might have gotten lucky with one of the cornerbacks, uh, but not with the other one. Uh, so uh, Lady Luck smiled on them, and, uh, and and they got Parsons, and everything is is looking looking good now. Right, they assessed the player correctly, yes. then failed to take advantage of that, and then lucked into it. So so they they had no choice but to go with what they should have gone with in the first place. Yeah. 
Uh, one of the things I, I actually tweeted this today, and it was a little bit of a conversation about about Micah, and this just touches on what you were saying earlier, uh, cool about um, maybe not having him at defensive end all the time because it's easier to scheme. So I think if you just if you just plop him in at, at Randy Gregory's spot, there's a couple things. One. I'm not sure how I think he's 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 un, unbelievably strong. So I think he, he can set the edge against 320 pound tackles. But I'm not sure that I want to have him making his living doing that. And the other is that I think if you can you know if you can rush him from all kinds of angles, it it just scares the heck out of a, out of an offense. And offensive coordinators are not sleeping at night. And if there's any confusion about where he's coming from. And he has like a split second where the offensive lineman doesn't know like who he's who he's handing off or passing on to somebody. Mike has already won. So I really think of him as being the kind of linebacker version of Troy Polamalu. So, you know, Troy Polamalu uh, was the heart of that Steelers defense. It's a talented defense, but he was the heart of it because he would strike from anywhere. And he had no idea what he was going to do. And half the time it was just unscripted. And he would just do what, you know, what his, his good instincts told him to do. And I, I just think that, that aspect of what Micah can bring to it is so valuable that I want to find something where he's rushing more than half of the defensive pass snaps. It's got to be somewhere around two thirds, but that they're finding a way to position him. So it's, it's coming from all over and we don't know which, which one of those it's going to be. All right. Well, listen, that was, a, that was, that was great. Thank you so much for staying on with us for so long. Um, that was, a, that was a great conversation. Dan. So tell the folks where where they can uh, you know get more of uh, of of Cool's punditry. Well, <laughs> you can find them on Twitter at OCC44, and you can find them occasionally making a cameo over at blogging the boys. I tell you what, anytime he throws anything out there, it's an auto read for me. And I still have the Fear the Star shirt, and the, you know I remember <laughs> those articles. That's a great insight, great humor. Uh, for one of the true uh, BTB greats, OCC. It's truly been an honor, on, honestly, you know, being able to hang with you. Um, I'm glad to be able to just, uh, to be honest, to, to, we've had a lot of BTB legends like come through here and uh, and it just, just, it's just a true honor to be able to hang with you. So thank you for hanging out with us. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's now uh, 3.30 in the morning here, so I need to go back to bed. <laughs> but it was great fun. Great fun. Always love talking Cowboys. I will come on again sometime. We'll do some more of it. Well, you know, as as you were saying when we were saying goodbye to uh, him, Cool Customer is easily in the Mount Rushmore of Cowboys bloggers and, you know, stands atop the, the BTB totem pole. He's really just the greatest ever. Uh, it's it's always so, so cool to to talk to him um, and to get his takes. Yeah, for sure. I mean that that was it's it's really enjoyable for me too to be able to you know be able to you know talk with these uh, these guys that you know have been writing for for us for so long and it's just uh, you know it's great to have them. Great show, great show this week. What do we got going on next week? Well, speaking of Cowboys legends, we're going to actually have. None other than the founder of Blogging the Boys, David Halpernon. And so um, he's just uh, finished writing a book of college football trivia. So we'll get a chance to talk about that and, and get a little bit about the Genesis and uh, try out some of his questions on us. And then we'll actually play some Cowboys trivia as well. So in some ways, what we're going to do is take a break from all the free agency talk and have kind of a fun game night. All and right. then we'll return to free agency in the draft the following week. All right. And we could use a break for all the, all 
all this craziness going on. Amen. All right. Well, that is it for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, or Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, you know, Cowboys draft, crazy free agency stuff, or when's the last time you had an absent-minded moment, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyFandom24, and Rabs is at RobbleRousel, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez, and Sunday we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true. Silver and blue. We will catch you later. Last is missed.